Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lobel. The lights are going out all across Ukraine, infrastructure that cannot be easily replaced anytime soon. NATO continues its proxy war against Russia, saying as long as it takes. Will the Ukrainian state and society collapse before its military is defeated on the battlefield? To discuss these issues and more, I'm joined by my guests, Martin Jay in Marrakesh. He's an award-winning journalist and commentator. And here in Moscow, we have Dmitry Babich. He's a political analyst and editor at Inosmi Internet Media Project. All right, gentlemen, crosstalk rules in effect. That means you can jump in anytime you want, and I always appreciate it. All right, let's start out with Marrakesh. Uh, Martin, you know, the the first what uh, is a hallmark of this entire conflict is the amount of propaganda that has come out of the uh, Western governments and media. I mean, this is extraordinary mm-hmm. because everything is very, it's inverted here. Um, while it, there has been a lot of press uh, coverage of uh, Russia's uh, initiative uh, to uh, disable Ukraine's uh, electricity grid, its power um, uh, grid, um, the there seems like you know there's this narrative that Ukraine is still winning, which is so counter counterintuitive to what reality is on the ground. The more the electricity grid and infrastructure that is destroyed in U- Ukraine, the the less likely Russia will have any interest in any kind of ceasefire. I mean, well, the side that wants a ceasefire is the side that's losing, but the West gives the perception that Russia wants a ceasefire. And so, and this is so counterproductive and and really um, uh, destructive to Ukraine because there's no reason why, uh, if you're winning, there's no reason why you should talk. Go ahead, Martin. Yeah, but I think fake news is actually keeping this war going on. And and the people who are losing, the real losers, the people who really pay the price are just humble Ukrainians. You know, I really feel sorry for them. Um, Just recently this week, I saw an interview by the BBC's um, correspondent with uh, Ms. Zelensky, Mr. Zelensky's wife, and she asked um, the, the first lady, you know, what's going to happen with the electricity when that goes? And, and she replied, well, you know, we've, we've, we've spoken to Ukrainians, and Ukrainians have told us that they can handle that for the next couple of years. Well, you know, I find that very hard to believe. And I, you know, spoken to Ukrainians, spoken to who? I didn't see the referendum. I didn't see that pop up anywhere. You know, what she really means is she probably spoke to a few of her cronies in the cabal which make up the elite around the Zelensky family. And um, some of those billionaires who drive around in bulletproof Mercedes have said, well, we can put up with it for a couple of years. You know, we've got the generators and we can buy the black market diesel. But there is a lot of... You can go to the French Riviera when it gets cold. Yeah, you know, or, you know, British Virgin Islands or wherever they stash all this money, you know. Um, and there's been enough reporting on that. So we do know that this is going on. But fake news and distortion of news and the omission. And that's really my... My bugbear, you know, as a journalist, is, is it's not as often it's not distortion of the news; it's the omission of reporting. You know, there's not enough reporting that's going on by Western journalists to actually show that actually the destruction of the infrastructure, electricity, is a is a hugely powerful uh, leverage in this war. And if people start to really feel the winter and can't uh, get water because water is pumped by electricity, they can't get heating, they can't get drugs, they can't get food. You know, that is a uh, a massive uh, point of leverage from the Russian side. So this is being misreported all the time. You know, there's a lot of lies being pumped out there. And, when, you know, me, me, journalists are just not checking this. They're just, they're just not giving us the, the facts that we need on the ground. So the result of all that, unfortunately, is that the war gets prolonged. 
and there's just no hope for any peace talks because you have this defiance, this this ignorance, this uh, blinded by their own dogma attitude by the European Union, particularly EU officials in Brussels. You know that there is no nuance, there is no grey zone, there is no middle ground that we can talk. Um, there's only one solution, which is what we will win and we will carry on uh, backing um, the Zelensky government. But, you know, you have well, to... I mean, Martin, in that sense, it, it, the, the narrative gets it right, but for the wrong reasons. Let me go to Dima. Uh, there, there, it, in the West, there's this kind of uh, mantra, you know, mantra, oh, win, win. you've heard this all the time, win-win, right? Um, but, um, Dima, in this, the way this conflict was constructed by NATO with uh, Ukraine as a willing volunteer, not a victim, as a volunteer into this, it's going to be a win-lose situation. And it'll be one of those those situations where it is actually quite black and white. One side is going to win and one side is going to lose, and the loser is going to be vanquished. And the implications of that for the neoliberal ideology and their worldview is going to be devastating. That's why... We, we keep hearing the narrative, Ukraine is winning, because in, intellectually, if, not even intellectually, but uh, psychologically, they can't accept the fact that they're going to lose a war that they started. Dima. Uh, well, yes. Uh, first, I would like to stress that no one here is happy about, uh, about no. the electricity grid in Ukraine, you know, being disabled, about people staying without water and electricity, especially the old ones. No one here is happy about that. Uh, ethnic Russian nationalism has never been particularly strong in Russia. It never came to power, neither in the beginning of the 20th century uh, nor after 1991 when the state collapsed. Uh, there are very few ethnic Russian nationalists who actually consider themselves you know, superior to Ukrainians. Most of Russians consider Ukrainians part of themselves. You know, These are the same people who should have the same rights, uh, and uh, they certainly they can have their own state, but that state should not be hostile to us. The whole problem is that since 2014, uh, the, the whole raison d'etre of the Ukrainian state was to, uh, to, to act against Russia. You know, Russians put up with the fact that Ukraine had not been a friendly state until 2014. Okay, they have their own country, uh, fine, but uh, to make it completely hostile was a huge, huge adventurism, uh, adventurous step on the part of the West. Uh, so in that sense, President Putin is not the worst choice. I mean, he considers Ukrainians uh, the same people with Russians. For that reason, he did not give the order to bomb uh, the Ukrainian electricity system for nine months, you know. He had been waiting uh, for for some kind of a, a diplomatic solution, for some kind of a uh, more humane way to resolve the problem. Uh, we started doing it only after the attack on the Crimean bridge, which was a pure terrorist act, you know, in which two people died, by the way. So uh, basically, uh, when you say to win, you know, in Russian language, uh, there is a, there are two kinds of words for for for, for this verb to win. You can win in a gamble. We don't use that word with Ukraine. We agree. Or you can overcome. You can uh, it, which means, you know, to overcome the difficulties, to, to leave the trouble behind you. So we want uh, to, to overcome, and we will do it. Uh, it just look uh, at the facts on the ground. Uh, Gordon Hahn in the United States, our <laughs> analyst, 
is absolutely right when he says that basically uh, Russia will uh, uh, certainly win in this winter because 380,000 men are coming, you know, the, the mobilized troops. Uh, the, Ukrainian, uh, the Ukrainians are giving in in Donbass. It is not reported in the West, but every day small villages, small uh, territorial gains are made. And uh, about the electricity grid, we did in nine months something that Americans did with Iraq and Serbia in the first uh, in the first three weeks of the war, taking out the electricity and taking out television. We didn't even take out television, you know. So basically, uh, it's a story that is uh, misreported in the West. For uh, uh, you're absolutely right about the reason. These people uh, are terrified of losing, you know. Uh, uh, not personally, but their ideology will lose. And then who will listen to the Greens in Germany? You know, Annalena Baerbock said that uh, all negotiations with Russia were, I quote, senseless. You know, she said when she came to Bucha in Ukraine that these people could be us. And, and even Dear Spiegel magazine, which completely supports the neoliberal narrative, even they wrote that this was a lie. You know, these people died not in a NATO country, they most likely were killed by the Ukrainian troops or they were accidental victims of the bombings. But uh, to say what she said was simply a lie, and that's what Dear Spiegel had to write, you know. So uh, in a lot of ways, you are absolutely right. These people are terrified uh, that their ideology was good rules. This is a purely ideological thing. And uh, the fact that the European Parliament uh, uh, called Russia, you know, adopted the resolution calling Russia a sponsor of terrorism, doing something that even the United States didn't do. <laughs> it shows you that we are not uh, dealing with geography here. It's not Americans, Europeans. We are dealing with ideology. And in the European Union, there are neoliberal well, that's, and that's, and David, that's what makes it And that's what makes it so dangerous. You know, Martin, one of the, the um, oddities of all of this here, when we think of the substations that, uh, that are being destroyed uh, the, of the electricity grid, there's only one country in the world that can replace them. And it's not a NATO country. It's actually Russia. And there is a precedent uh, uh, after 2014 when Crimea returned to Russia. They, the Ukrainian and the Kiev officials, they cut off electricity to Crimea. And Russia had to solve for its citizens the, the electricity issue. And it was resolved. So there's no Western technology. There's no uh, magic bullet out there. There's nothing that can be done. It will take years and they like and like I point out, all of this is Soviet era technology, and it's not being produced in Ukraine, and certainly not in a uh, NATO country. Your thoughts? Yeah, energy just keeps coming back to energy, time and time yeah. again, doesn't it? You know, yeah. so many times. And if we take a look at the bigger picture, and we and we use energy as a sort of measuring tool, you know, who is really winning this war? It's America. America is just cleaning up. America is selling uh, gas to the Europeans at four times. The price yes. that Americans pay, you know, um, America is really flexing its muscles more and more, more than ever with European Union countries. And they are quite happy to play that servile role. And, and, and Martin, I agree with you. They're cleaning up. But what they're doing, uh, I don't know what the ratio is, but paying four times more for energy that you used to get for Russia that was relatively cheap. I don't know what the ratio is, but I'm sure uh, it's the the productivity has gone maybe down inversely, four times less in uh, productivity because of the high costs of the energy. So it's 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 a double whammy. The, the American companies are cleaning up, but it's destroying the competitiveness of the European economy. Go ahead. Exactly, and this new bill um, 
the uh, inflation uh, bill yeah. that um, yeah. you know, aw- awkwardly called the IRA. I mean, they really need to work on the, yeah. on the you know. <laughs> I mean, this is really worrying the Europeans right now. For the first time since this war started, we're beginning to see real voices of concern, real complaints coming from Brussels, from the French government, from the Germans, because they're saying, look, after this IRA uh, act that Biden's putting now, you know, that just completely tips the competitiveness towards the Americans even more. And, you know, many top EU officials are asking, are the Americans really our allies? You know, so this is the result of the Ukrainian war. You know, uh, first of all, I think there will be a division at some point. There is going to be a certain split um, between Europe and its relationship with America. And for the for the moment, Biden seems to be in a comfortable position. He There's no incentive from the Americans whatsoever to end this war. They want it to go on forever. All right, hold that thought, Martin. We have to go to a hard break. And after that hard break, we'll continue our discussion on some real news. Stay with our team. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lovell. This is the home edition. To remind you, we're discussing some real news. Okay, Nima, I want to continue with the discussion that I was having with Martin here. Martin really um, gave the uh, typology really quite well, and it's it's very interesting, and it's not what media, Western media, are reporting. Essentially, you know, they use Russia as the object of hatred. It's Russia's fault, unprovoked attack, all of this kind of stuff here. Mm-hmm. Everything started on February 24th of this year. Nothing has talked about what happened through the over the last eight years. You, uh, so with, with uh, Russia's special military operation, the European Union, NATO is mobilized against Russia, and then the U.S. comes and picks everybody's pockets, and they continue to pick everyone's pockets. The productivity goes down. Ben, whose fault of it is it? It's Russia's fault, okay? And the, the cherry on top of everything here is we all agree they want to keep this going. The, the West, that is, they know that Russia is not going to stop until it gets what it wants. That means we have to go back to December 17th and look at those two documents that were sent to NATO and to Washington. They still are in effect, gentlemen. Nothing has changed, okay? So this is the gambit here. So, And this is a, uh, what Martin had to say that I have kind of tightened up here is the narrative Western audiences, if they were told it, wouldn't even comprehend it, Dima. Yeah, uh, well, uh, you're absolutely right that uh, Russian suggestions are, are still in force. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, in the United States, uh, I was fascinated by this article in The Hill by Bruce Fein. Uh, Congress, I'm reading the headline, Congress should end the war in Ukraine by withdrawing from NATO. You know, strange as it may seem, it's a sound idea. Yes. <laughs> of course. The real reason why uh, the, the hostilities in Ukraine aggravated in February, they did not begin, you know, they did not start in February, they aggravated, was because NATO kept expanding and uh, Ukraine was becoming a de facto, uh, de facto spearhead of NATO right near, near the Russian border. And, uh, and here I have to disagree a little bit with, uh, uh, with Martin. Uh, Bruce Payne is right to write here that the United States, uh, is, is, is being drained of 100 billion dollars, you know, 
support for Ukraine costs a lot. Yeah, of course, Raytheon and... Uh, and uh, oh, oh, oh uh, no, 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 Dima. I got to push back against you pushing back, Mark. That's not money. That's paper. That's printed, okay? That's debt. That's debt, okay? It's not real, okay? It's okay. debt, okay? So that's... No, no, but the, the other side is, yeah, this debt is enriching the uh, the arms company. That is real for them, okay? Yeah, exactly. But, it, exactly. But, 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 you know, the what, what, it, what gets that... The, see, I won't get away from the productivity issue here because you can take monetary policy out all you want, okay? It's yes. complicated and it's political. Productivity is real, okay? It's real and how much it, something costs. Go ahead. Yes, uh, but also, uh, look, uh, the United States uh, is, in fact, indeed weakening Europe uh, in several ways. Uh, by by basically uh, making this war in Ukraine continue. Why is the war in Ukraine continuing? Because there is that uh, principle in the United States, right? Nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine, right? Well, I mean, the Ukrainian people are kept hostage by their government. Uh, uh, our friend Nikolai Petro rightly writes in uh, uh, Responsible Statecraft, he reminds us that uh, Gallup con- uh, conducted a poll in Crimea before, uh, no, no, in 2014 about uh, joining Russia. 91% uh, uh, Pew Research reported 91% of Crimeans in favor of Russia. Gallup reported 83%. So the figures, for example, in Kherson, you know, when 87% of the people at the referendum supported Russia, they are basically correct. Uh, they are lower than in Donbass, where it's 98, 99% because people suffered for eight years. In Kherson, it's slightly lower, but these figures are real. So when you say, when the United States says nothing about Ukraine without Ukrainian government, basically they, they, they are saying something like nothing about the hostage without its capital, right? <laughs> uh, so th- that will make the war continue uh, indefinitely. You're absolutely right about that. But this is only one of the ways in which uh, the United States is weakening Europe. Uh, the United States is pushing Europe towards a real conflict with China, uh, an, an economic one, a military one, and there is even more expenses in, in perspective than uh, the situation. Well, you know, Dima, it, it, it's like, obviously, um, uh, um, American elites will continue to pr- promote hege- uh, American hegemony around the world. What, what's really the sad comment about this is the weakness of European elites, okay? I mean, it's obvious for anyone to see this. You know, you know, Martin, the, the interesting thing about this, as I said in my introduction, is that, you know, the uh, more arms and more arms, now the U.S. is... Is going to pick up the budgetary obligations of the Ukrainian government, really, with no oversight and auditing, a recipe for absolute plunder, okay? But, I mean, the longer this goes on, and I think this weekend we're, we're, going, to, we're going to see protests all across Europe, is that the, sto- this, the story about the conflict in Ukraine is about the deterioration of, of, of uh, um, uh, living standards in Europe. And because that's what I get more and more stories about the cost of energy, um, um, the cost of food. Um, if there's going to be any diesel in the U.S. in 10 days, that that's how the story it was. It wasn't designed that way, but that's how it's going, because. If you look at um, America's wars with its NATO allies, Afghanistan, Syria, um, Iraq, Libya, um, th- those were all abstractions for Western publics because most of them couldn't even find out where, where they were on the map. This conflict in Ukraine is not an abstraction to Western publics 
and consumers now. And that's, I think that's what's going to be the, the, the pivot point in how the, um, the West will, in, in weeks, months, pursue this conflict. Go ahead, Martin. Yeah, and I think you have to remember that um, some of those NATO attacks, particularly the one um, in in former Yugoslavia in 1995, were illegal. They were actually, you know, Clinton went ahead without the support of the United Nations, totally illegally, totally against, excuse me, international laws. But I think um, you're right to say the emphasis now will be on European citizens and how they cope with this winter. It's been very mild so far. We've had a few weeks of very, very mild weather. But when that starts to get worse, perhaps some point in December, um, then the political dynamic will completely change. And I think that is being sensed now by the European Union and leaders like Macron, who recently said, look, this gas arrangement we have with America, it's not really very friendly. You know, I mean, these are our allies. And uh, so it's starting. This antagonism, this sort of bellicose narrative is beginning. And that is directly linked to European suffering. So I think the energy issue, the the heat. Yeah, but Martin, if I could jump in here, it's no coincidence that the North Stream pipelines were destroyed because there's no yeah. turning back. There's no yeah, turning back. And, you yeah. know, and the big winner was America. And I think that was always planned in the longer term. You know, but if we talk about the longer term, I think it's important now to look at the look at the timeline and take a step back. Um, will Congress back 37 billion dollars in military aid that Biden is is pushing? Unlikely. Now the Republicans have the House. It may well be watered down, it may be delayed, but, you know, the Republican um, Republican side is always banging on about transparency. And, you know, he had the opportunity to create uh, transparency tools. He didn't do that. So that is going to have a major impact on the ground in the Ukraine. And I think the Russians know that. I think they're playing a longer game. And with the destruction of the utilities, with uh, military aid now dropping quite considerably, we will see a different Ukraine war in the next few weeks, the next few months. And, you know, where is Europe in all this? You know, it has this puppet, um, preposterous parliament in Strasbourg, which was, I might add, was created one year after the EU created itself. There was this mad dash, this panic. Oh, we don't have a democratic institution. You know, what are we going to do? So they created the European Parliament one year later as a sort of bolt-on. It's the only parliament in the entire world which doesn't have the authority to propose draft legislation. Think about that for a minute, you know. Um, and what does it do? It just name calls. It just says, oh, Russia is a sponsor of state terrorism, you know, without. Oh, but I'm sure the MPs are compensated well. It's a good it's a good gig, isn't it? It's a great number. Yeah. You know, and uh, and 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 also, you know, look at the green impact of moving um, hundreds of kilometers every two or three weeks from Brussels to Strasbourg just to keep the French happy. You know, someone did a study on this years ago. You know, the carbon footprint is just gigantic. So the hypocrisy is absolutely stunning and corruption rules. And, you know, the EU is really standing by now and allowing this war to continue. But, you know, where it will end, I, I just I don't see the Ukrainians being the winners in, in, in the next couple of months. I see. And I think this explains why Zelensky is starting to panic. Now, you know, there's enough on the Internet, whether we can believe it or not, that he has a cocaine addiction, um, that he possibly is even losing his mind. When we looked at the last few months, the last few weeks, sorry, of the attack on the Black Sea fleet, you know, which was pretty crazy in itself, and and his press statements, which were released seconds afterwards, taking the high moral ground that, oh, we need to feed the starving Africans, and, you know, it's appalling what's going on here. But he didn't expect the Russians two days later to come back to the deal and carry on, or even offer to give grain free to the Africans. You know, so that was really bullshit for what it was. 
you know, the attack on Poland with that stray missile, which was actually a Russian missile, but no one believes that Putin would ever do that. That's just completely out of the question. I'm pretty sure that came from his people as well. You know, and now more recently, he's starting to sort of harangue and beg people. Um, you know, British Prime Minister just flew in very recently. Hilarious. You know, big, big uh, bear hug. And um, and Sunak said, I've come with 50 million pounds. 50 million pounds. Wow. You know, I mean, his his cronies behind him must have been sort of gigg- giggling and saying, well, I mean, it's Martin, I should pay for lunch at least. You know, it's, it, it, you know it, it's, it's very interesting because it takes pe- real people that understand um, uh, the military, how a military, a conventional military works. So when the uh, when the Washington Post or the FT, they say X number of millions of rounds and all that. For us, it's like, wow, that's a big number. But then I'm, I'm told, well, Peter, that's like for two mm. days. For a modern yeah, military, yeah, okay, yeah. and and so they 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 overwhelm me with you know dangling little shiny things in front of you, but it has no meaning whatsoever. It's virtue signaling. That's all they're doing yeah. is virtue. Yeah. Dima, we have thirty seconds. Go ahead before we finish. Go ahead. Uh, I agree with Martin that European Parliament is senseless, and uh, it's it's nice that it's senseless because when they adopted this uh, resolution uh, calling Russia a state sponsoring terrorism. They basically create the ground for decoupling, further decoupling of European economy from the Russian one. Together yep. with the decoupling from the Chinese economy, this will bury the European economy. Yep. This will just make it dead. Wow, Dima, you ended on the most <laughs> apocalyptic ending of all time on Crosstalk here. That's mm-hmm. all the time we have. Gentlemen, I want to thank my guests in Marrakesh and here in Moscow. I want to thank our viewers for watching us here at RTC. And next time, remember, Crosstalk rules.